We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. My guest today is Samuel Lowe. Samuel is an acupuncturist and an osteopath located in Toronto, Canada. This is another one. We just jumped into the conversation, so you're going to catch us here in midstream. So please enjoy this conversation with Samuel Lowe. This is such the beauty of Chinese medicine, because there's a set of principles here that if you can grasp the the underlying principles, you can kind of look at anything through that lens and get some useful information. Yeah. 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 You can definitely see underlying issues like constitution issues and symptoms. So when you use the phrase constitution, what does that mean for you? What are you thinking about? And also, you know, I mean, I know that you both practice Chinese medicine and osteopathy. Is constitution an idea that's in both those medicines? Or is this something that you've kind of come to in your own practice? Constitution, I was talking about in in terms of Chinese medicine, in terms of like the five element theory, you know, are you a wood person, a a water person, or, you know, a fire person, that kind of thing. Right. But I mean, yeah, there's also there's also mechanical constitutions as well. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, I see constitutions in terms of, well, in, in Chinese medicine sense, but in, in, in terms of osteopathic, like in terms of, you know, osteopathy, you know, we look at different kinds of posture, whether or not it's just a, a kind of a forward posture or like an upright posture, because, you know, this, this is where they're weight bearing. If you find that, you know, they slouch forward too much, they're going to be compressing their organs and 
20 or 30 years from now, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the person who's too erect, you know, their constitution, they're, they're more likely to have osteoarticular problems because they're constantly using, you know, their weight-bearing joints. And then people who have sprain or broken an ankle will have different kinds of pelvises that will show. So it's just patterns that you see. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's, there's these sort of, um, I'm going to say lifetime or lifestyle, in some ways, let's say habituated patterns of movement, right? Or just habituated patterns of tension or slackness in various areas of the body. Wear and tear. Wear and tear. And that, and that causes a specific kind of wear and tear, right. which over time can unfold in a particular direction. Like you were saying, if, if you're working in such a way that I mean, you use your, uh, your bones a lot, you're more likely to have joint problems. Right. When you think about constitution Chinese medicine-wise, is that a piece of your practice? Does that come into your diagnostics? And, and if so, how do you treat based on what you find? So when I treat constitution, I call that more of the root, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and we'll see certain patterns in the pulse and uh, in the tongue. You know, that's where the Chinese medicine side comes in. And then what I do is I verify that with what I feel in terms of visceral palpation, whether or not it makes sense with what I feel in the spine. So when you say what you feel, what kinds? And again, I'm I'm um, in, in a little bit. We're going to get into your background here because I know we've jumped ahead in a way. But when you say what you feel, what kind of palpation are you doing that gives you this information so what i would do is if it's i take a look at the big questions is is it is the problem coming from the inside or the outside is it somato visceral or viscerosomato right that's one of the first traditional chinese medicines tcm theories that we learn about is the problem external to internal or internal to external Mm mm-hmm Right? right? So I stick with very basics like that. Because some issues, some pains come from liver issues or digestive issues. And those are examples of somato, sorry, viscerosomato issues. Mm-hmm. And then versus like people who have had trauma, high velocity trauma, they've been in car accidents, whiplash, they've fallen or, or have um, gotten injured somehow through, you know, overuse. And then with time, that can wear away at uh, the body in, in different mechanical patterns. And so that's kind of how I take a look at constitution and how I apply it to practice. And, and then when people come in with a specific problem, like, oh, I have pain here, I make sure I address that too, of course. So I, I try to address both the constitution in terms of mechanics, visceral, and then I address the symptoms, like what they're coming in for. Right. The sore elbow. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, this is where it gets so interesting for me. Let's take the sore elbow as an example, because it seems like a seemingly simple thing. Oh, my elbow hurts. Fix my elbow. You're probably going to put needles in my elbow. The question for us is, where did that elbow pain come from? Right. Like we were just talking. Is this a long-term problem that somehow comes out of your lifestyle or did you whack it really bad while playing football the other day? Exactly. So it's, it's rarely as simple as it seemingly is. 
Osteopathy is just another stone that you have to flip over to check. Mm -hmm. You got to check all your stones. You just got to look at, I guess you have to look for the problem in other places if it doesn't get better. Yes, right. The usual stuff doesn't work. What am I missing here? Right. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's jump into your background a little bit here. You're both an osteopath. And I'm and it sounds to me like you're more of an old school osteopath. You you know, you really listen to how the body's put together and you use manipulation and that sort of thing. You're not prescribing drugs and such. In Canada, we're not allowed to prescribe drugs. Ah. Here in Canada, it's unregulated. It is the Wild West. Anybody can take a weekend course or a few years course and call, really call themselves an osteopath. Oh, wow. That's totally different than here in the States. Yeah. So, And then like 10 years ago, it was like that for Chinese medicine. Anybody, anybody could take a weekend course and become a Chinese medicine practitioner or an acupuncturist. And then that's when the government started to regulate us. So re- only recently has Ontario been regulated. I see. Okay. What did you do? Did you learn Chinese medicine first or did you first uh, come into healing through osteopathy? When I was uh, younger, I got into a bike accident and uh, I wasn't able to walk properly. I met lots of physicians who had different theories about what was going on with my knees and my legs, but nobody was able to pinpoint exactly what was going on. And how long did this go on for? A few weeks. I got into a bike accident in the summer of 94. And um, I had to drop out of summer school, and I just, I, uh, yeah, I was really kind of scared, mm. you know, because I didn't know, you know, how long it would take until I could walk again, or walk properly again without pain. And so my mom found this Chinese medicine doctor through her friend, and this Chinese medicine doctor, she was, she ended up treating my knee issues within four weeks. I was walking again without pain. I was walking again, and then within six weeks, I was pain-free. And then somewhere in that summer, what happened was my mom got into a a car accident, and so my doctor also started to treat her. And so the doctor said to me, okay, Sam, you know, I need you to massage your mom's neck. And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, I'll just kind of do it randomly. And... um, A week later, after treating my mom, the doctor said to me, okay, show me what you did for your mom. And I, you know, I kind of showed her, you know, what I was doing and what she had taught me. And she says to me, oh, can can you do that on me? Can you show me? I said, yeah, sure. So I was just massaging like the insertion point of her SEM. And she says to me, can you tell me where it hurts? And I said, yeah, it hurts right about here. And at that point in time, she she decided to talk to my mom and she said to my mom that, Hey, listen, you know what? I think your son is ready for Chinese medicine. And I think that he's ready to be my student. Wow. And I was just kind of like, you're 14 years old, 14 years old. (laughs) So my mom's like, okay, well, uh, you know, where else, who else can babysit him, you know, on a Saturday and Sunday? That's perfect. Right. Yeah. So my mom kind of, you know, dropped me off there on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and I was her apprentice for 12 years. Wow. Isn't the universe a generous place? Yeah. She treated me like a son, and I was number five of seven in in her apprentice. Like, I was her fifth apprentice out of seven. And, you know, she was, she treated me like a son. 
And um, so through high, in high school, after high school, no, sorry, through high school, I was working for her on Saturday and Sunday. I was also, when I got my driver's license, I was also her chauffeur. Well, this, that's to- this is just so old school, isn't it? Yeah. It's so old school. <laughs> it's like Star Wars. Always, you know, two there are. No more, no less. A master and an apprentice. And so, um, so yeah, she took me under her wing. She tra- taught me how to do acupuncture, how to prescribe herbs, how to do the pulse diagnosis. And uh, after high school, I went into massage therapy for two years full time. And then um, and then that was my way of billing for a little while. After after acupuncture, sorry, after massage therapy, I studied acupuncture full time for four years at the Michener Institute. And then again, on Saturdays and Sundays, I was still her apprentice. Of course. And, um, you know, I told her what I was learning and then she sh- you know, she shared it with me some of her insight, and I was very grateful for that. After Chinese medicine, I I went over to China for about two years, and I, and what I did was I jumped from hospital to hospital, looking at um, looking I guess at different forms of Chinese medicine, different ways that they were practicing, and I guess from my master or you know from Doctor Lam, she she was really good at treating pain, and that's kind of what. I became good at as well, like, because she just taught me what she was good at. So I, in China, I specifically chose places that dealt with pain. You know, I saw some places that, you know, there was a diabetes clinic, there was research centers, but I was really interested in like pain because we all experience pain. Mm -hmm. And also too, the reason why I'm attracted to pain is because it's easier to get results, right? Versus, yes. like, you, you can see results within one or two treatments, three treatments. Acupuncture is so good for pain, many people think that's all it's good for. Right. But it's also very good for, like, long-term conditions, too, like diabetes. So, I mean, I just became more attracted to pain cases. And, and so I came back to Toronto after, you know, doing the, uh, my, I guess I would call what I would call my residency in China. And then, um, oh, sorry, I did my residency in China for about two years. And then I backpacked around the world from, by myself for a little while, for about, for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to Toronto and I, I continued to practice as a massage therapist, as an acupuncturist, as a practitioner of Chinese medicine. And then I got drawn to osteopathy because... You know, Chinese medicine is good. Acupuncture in Chinese medicine is very good. But sometimes I was not able to explain what was happening. You know, I mean, yeah, I can imitate a treatment and I can get results. But I wasn't able to explain exactly what was going on. What exactly is happening when you use acupuncture? You know, how are things connected? I guess it was just another piece of the puzzle that kind of a black box. You're putting something in, you're, you're getting something out, but what's happening in the middle there? Right. Right. We haven't, we're not really taught that. We're just taught in Chinese medicine, do it this way. That's it. Dampness, this pattern, this way. And it's not wrong, but how does it work? Mm. And yeah, I love the black box analogy. That's great. <laughs> I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> 
And so I started studying more and more osteopathy. And I studied in osteopathy for five years, part-time. And then, and then uh, I wrote my thesis for two years, so it was a total of seven years. I just graduated maybe in 2014, so uh-huh. two years ago. Gongshi, gongshi. Thank you. So yeah, I continue my practice, and um, I enjoy the integration. Overall, I love this job. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting talking with you about this, and, and, and I'm not surprised that you ended up getting drawn to osteopathy because of its incredible tools and skill set that lets you sort of get into the viscera and lets you get into the body in, in a very somatic way. Right. Because it sounds like your introduction to Chinese medicine was doing some hands-on work for your mom, and your teacher noticed that something happened, that you, that you already had something in your hands. Yeah. 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 So, so not surprising that you, that you used those two. I'm curious, two years in China, they practice Chinese medicine a bit differently over there, um, at least from how I usually see it done in the States. What was your sense of how, or what's your experience with how you see acupuncture in particular being practiced in China and how that's different from what you see generally here in North America? You're spending time in the Chinese medicine hospitals was really interesting. They have departments dedicated to different patterns and diseases. We don't have that here. Right. I mean, they've actually got it in the hospitals. They've gone in the hospitals, but yeah. they also they also have ho- hospitals only dedicated to Chinese medicine and hospitals dedicated to only Western medicine. I was really impressed with, I guess, how much money that they were willing to invest into this. But I mean, w- where else would you invest this, right? <laughs> they were able to invest in research and for acute care trauma. The best thing that we have here in the West, in North America, is the emergency department, which is great. Right. If there's a broken bone, it's perfect. But when we're dealing with chronic pain, the best thing that Western medicine has is physiotherapy. Well, physiotherapy and management through, uh, generally speaking, opiate pain medications. Physiotherapy and drugs. That was the second thing I was going to say. <laughs> like physiotherapy and, and drugs are the only pain management tools and therapies associated with Western medicine. And the problem with that is that these pain medications, they don't really help us get out of pain. It only masks the pain, but it keeps you on the med, mm-hmm. right? And that's mainstream here in North America. Yes. Whereas in China, you know, you can, there's actually a Toina department. People do like more hands-on work. And there are people who have more just pure acupuncture departments. And I thought that was really interesting. Of course, we all have our specialties. Everybody has their place. But it was just interesting to see a community get together and practice. It's so much more integrated there. So much more integrated. Yeah, so much more integrated. In terms of the actual treatments, Yes. would you say the treatment in China with acupuncture for, well, let's say chronic pain, because we're talking about that right now. Yeah. Um, And I want to get into that here in just a moment, more about chronic pain. But- Okay. But first this, so do they treat chronic pain with acupuncture differently in China than they do, generally speaking, here in the West? And if so, what are those differences? In terms of chronic pain, it is about the same. Different practitioners see pain differently. Some people might treat more 
what they would consider the root. Some people would focus more on the symptoms. That's really the only difference in terms, in terms of practicing, right? Well, the way that I see it is that we're all kind of artists and we're, we're all going to see a painting and you're going to notice more reds and I might notice more greens, but it's not wrong. It's just a different interpretation. And we just might focus in on the different, on different aspects of the issue. Right. There's not one right answer. There is not one right answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just being exposed to, I, I guess, seeing the way that different people diagnose differently and the way that different people treat differently was very interesting. Really gave you a breadth of uh, experience to work with, huh? Yeah. In that there is no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer in Chinese medicine. It's just, do you get the results? And the results will speak for themselves. Exactly. You know, you used a phrase a moment ago about the usual Western physiotherapy and drugs. It, well, the, actually not the physiotherapy, but the drugs. It masks, but it doesn't do anything about getting a person out of pain. Right. I, I think that's an interesting thought, getting them out of pain. Chronic pain is a really curious thing. It seems that after a period of time, the... Um, it's like there's some sort of maladaptive neuroplasticity going on in the brain where even if the source of the pain is gone, people will still experience pain. I mean, there's all kinds of ways, it seems, that chronic pain gets into our system, and then we have to figure out a way to get it out. You're right. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So what are your thoughts about actually getting people out of pain, um, unwinding those chronic patterns? So pain is a funny thing. Again, we're going to go back to basics. And the first question that I ask myself is, is it coming from the inside or the outside? Right? Is it trauma? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, is there a weakness in the system plus trauma? Right? Because that does exist. Right? Maybe they had some sort of digestive issue that predisposed them to low back pain. So the first thing I ask myself is, is it coming from the inside? Is it coming from the outside? And then I ask myself, what are they trying? What are they feeling? So this is where the neuroanatomy kicks in, because they're usually going to point to an area. It might be sharp. It might be a diffuse pain, but overall they're going to point to some sort of pain pattern. And then if you know your neuroanatomy, then you should be able to say, okay, that's you know the superficial branch of the radial nerve. That's the sural nerve. And then you can even track it up to the, you know, the level of the nerve root. And that's one way of treating things if it is just nerve pain. But let's just say there's, you know, what about that person who sprained their ankle who got stepped on? So then we're talking about an external pattern. And with trauma, uh, you know what? A few sessions ago, you interviewed the person who did Spark in the Machine. Oh, yeah. Daniel, Daniel, I can't. I can't remember his last name. Uh, It's kind of a funny last name. Sorry, sorry, Daniel. You've got kind of a strange last name. I can't remember how to pronounce it either. But it's a brilliant book. It's a brilliant book. I I love reading that book. And if he's listening, like thumbs up on the book. That was an amazing read. But um, he talks about how trauma is energy expressed in the tissues. Um, Like when we fall, there's energy that's being that's going through our tissues. 
And what that causes is like a densification of tissues. It doesn't matter what kind of tissue you are. You could be a nerve tissue. You could be a blood vessel. You could be bone. You could be periosteum. You could be muscle. You could be a ligament or a tendon. It will densify you. So we're talking about chronic pain. Sorry. And so what's important is to find where these areas in the body are where things are dense. Because where things are dense, that's where the trauma is. And that's where we need to take, we need to basically relieve that trauma. Think of um, uh, one of my teachers. He said, it's like uh, a meat skewer going through, like a skewer of meat. What we want to do is we want to take out that skewer so that the pieces of tissues can roll on top of each other. Does that make sense? It, you know, it totally makes sense. This is, uh, and I love the way you're explaining it because it's a very simple biomechanical, physiological way of looking at how an outside impact can affect tissue. Like you were saying, any tissue at various levels from very superficial to very deep. This is, you know, in Chinese medicine, we'd say, oh, there's some local qi or blood stagnation. But, you know, which sounds all kind of mystical and like, well, what the hell is that? Exactly. But it's, it's, it's actually a very simple physiological, you know, you think of an earthquake going through an area and, and it shakes up the lay, you know, it shakes up the soil. Usually it'll liquefy it a bit. And then depending on other strains or things going on, when it densifies again, you're going to get these strain patterns in it. Right. Right. And that's how our body behaves. I mean, we just have to take that skewer of force and trauma out of the system so that things can start moving again. And when things can start moving again, then the liquids can pump through it. That's where the blood comes in. And then when the blood can pump through it, then the chi can surge through it. So it, it's almost like it's almost like a cup of water. And, you know, you have the container of the cup, you know, the, the actual container of the cup of water. Mm-hmm. And then you, within that cup of water, you have the liquids, And then within the liquids, you have the energies. And trauma can set into any three of these levels. So sometimes it, like trauma might sit on just a mechanical, physical level. Sometimes it might sit on a liquid level. And sometimes it might sit on an energetic level. And that's when you have to adapt to the pattern at hand. And how do you adapt? Well, actually... Hold that question. How do you know what level you're at, and then what do you do about it? You take care of the physical first, then the liquid, and then the energies. Mm-hmm. Without, without the physical, the liquids can't exist. And without the liquids, the, the, the energies can't exist. So it, it comes in stages, right? right? Some people, they're in, let's just take the sprained ankle for example, okay? We roll our ankle, it's mechanical. You know, after four weeks, it's fixed, no problems, there's no pain, there's a little bit of swelling. But for some reason, they still have a little bit of trust issues with the ankle. And that's when you have to look at like a liquid level. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And then when the confidence is not there, it's like your body telling you, yeah, there's, yeah, it's okay, but there's still a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you don't resolve that, then later on, 
you might have more issues. Like it might come out when it gets cold outside or when it, when there's a change of weather. Right. I, I've got my own ideas of what liquid level means. When you're talking liquid level, yeah, you're talking about the fluids being able to, to pass through the tissues in a, in a very easy way. So nourishment can come in, waste can come out. Yeah. That, yeah. That, 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 that's what we're talking about. A very, again, very simple physiological blood can move in, blood can move out. Fluids can come in, lymph can come in, you know, just normal fluid respiration. That's what we're talking about. As long as the liquids come in properly and drain properly, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. And, and for you, one of the signs of a liquid level problem, is there some sort of like emotional something going on around the issue that hasn't resolved yet? Sometimes. 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 What are other indications that, that there's a liquid level issue going on? You can feel it. You'll be able to feel it with temperature. There'll be lack of circulation. It'll feel cold or maybe hot. It'll feel boggy. Yep. Like, uh, like underneath my fingertips. That's what I'm describing, right? Mm -hmm. Like it'll feel boggy underneath my fingertips. It'll feel cold. There'll be, there'll be, it'll be either a, a, it could be a cold pattern. Like it could feel cooler or hotter to the touch, and it might not be symmetrical to the other leg. Right. Often it's not. Often it's not. Yeah, that's how you know there's a problem. Right. Where patients coming in all the time, they go, I got a problem with this knee and they, and it feels hot to them on the inside and you put your hand on it and it's like, oh yeah, totally different. Right. Uh, and an another really broad general way to tell whether or not there's a liquid problem is having them go supine and then just lift up one ankle, lift up the other ankle. Which one's heavier? Ah. Right. Cause the one that's heavier is going to show more signs of a either too much muscular development, which is possible, or swelling. So there's more, literally more fluid in the tissue. Right, which will make it heavier. That makes sense. Simple biomechanics. Simple biomechanics. Yeah. There's not, there's, you know, there's nothing very woo-woo here in what you're talking about. Often people think acupuncture is some kind of magical, mystical, we're dealing with this stuff called chi, whatever that is, because you can't really translate it into English. <laughs> right. You're talking about Super simple, you know, biomechanical stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, it's almost like you and I, we have a farm. And the first thing that we have to do is make sure that we have good irrigation, good liquids to the soil and good liquids away from the soil. Or if, if we don't have good irrigation, there's no way any miracle is going to happen. Nothing is going to grow. And also, too, we need heat. We need it to be nice and warm. So I, so I tell my patients to put a heating pad on it. So, But the only way that anything can grow, the only way that miracles can happen is when things can grow. And when things can grow better, uh, you know, you just have to make sure that you have good irrigation to and from the problem. I hope you've enjoyed the first half of the show. Now it's time for a word from our sponsor. That would be you. You could support the effort here by popping over to everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and click on the link to support the show and leave a few dollars that will help to keep some inspiration in the teacup. You know, 
We run on only the finest oolong and poorer teas here at Everyday Acupuncture Podcast Central. No point in going all NPR pledge drive here to remind you that teas like that don't come cheaply. Just know that if you like the show, you can express your appreciation for these interviews with a small donation. As always, I love to get your feedback and ideas for future shows, so send those along too. Thanks again for listening, and now on to the second half of the show. Okay, so for our listeners that are wondering, and and I love to ask this question anyway of different acupuncturists, how does acupuncture help improve that? Acupuncture, you see, okay, after doing dissections and, you know, doing, doing my own research, and I, I guess I'm studying osteopathy, you, the first thing that I realized is that all nerves, arteries, and veins travel together. And so if you're able to stimulate the nerve, you'll have access to the entire neur- neurological system. You'll have access to the vascular supply. And that's how I use acupuncture. You also, uh, and you also have access to pain sensors. You can modulate pain. So you really see it as, or I suspect there's one way of seeing it, a number of ways of seeing it, but you see if you can sort of wake up the neurology, then the other, the other things that flow along with it cannot not be affected as well. Right. Acupuncture, to me, is very neuroanatomical. Even if you practice it from the viewpoint of an herbalist or even just doing pain, my belief is that acupuncture is very, very neuroanatomical. I mean, there'll be certain points in acupuncture where they say, oh, puncture the, uh, puncture the artery, in which it is actually an artery, right? <laughs> there are some places where we're supposed to bleed. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't say that, my theory is that the targets are nerves. And it's interesting. I remember being at a... Uh at a conference a couple of years ago when the uh, medical acupuncturists were in St. Louis and there was this incredible presentation by a fellow. I, I, he, he might even be up your way. I, um, I think his name was Chang, Pony Chang. Pony. Yeah. You know, I work with Pony. Oh, you work with Pony. Okay. All right. So, so this is making sense because Pony, you work with Pony. All right. Pony and I are research together. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. This is all coming together because I, I was at his presentation where he showed how various nerve bundles and, and various you know, ways that nerves wander totally and completely match up with acupuncture meridians and very specific points on those acupuncture channels. Yeah, absolutely. Pony and I have, uh, have been doing research together, and we are... We, We've purchased our own, we've gotten the right to do our own research on, on human specimens. So, you know, we, we went to Queens and we were able to basically get a soft and bombed cadaver and then do the dissections for it and take photos for it for his textbook that he's coming out with. I, re- I remember seeing those photos. It, it, it's amazing what you guys are It's doing. amazing. Yeah. And so what we've been doing is we also got the green light at the U of T to do our own research here. And we, last year, we, um, yeah, we had our own cadavers at U of T. 
and we were going downtown to do our own dissections. It was incredible. And that's, that's why I think a lot of this is neuroanatomical. Yes, because Pony also believes that, but also because I believe that too. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it sounds like there's the research you do. I suspect your thoughts about this are also backed up by your clinical experience. Yeah, that's why I spent a lot of time working on this with Pony. And, you know, I really think this is going to push acupuncture to a new standard. Let's just say in 20 to 50 years, acupuncture was was standardized, just like anesthesiology is standardized. Wouldn't that be amazing? I, I can see some acupuncturists going, how could you possibly do that? You'll take the art out of it. There's also an art to anesthesiology and inserting the needle. I mean, there's an art in all of this, isn't there? Right. And an art to knowing what you're looking at and being able to select the right points that'll get you the most bang for your buck. Right. Target selection. Target selection. Yeah. Yeah. Search and destroy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. So this interview has gone in a slightly different direction than we thought, hasn't it? This is fabulous. This is why I so love doing this show. Amazing stuff can come up. Is there a way that uh, acupuncturists, well, you know, or people, just regular folks that are interested in, you know, getting their pain treated and stuff, because this, after all, is a show kind of for everybody, but, right. but specifically, if somebody wanted to know more about the work that you and Pony are doing, how would they find out about it? Have you guys got websites? Do you have any books coming out? Uh, actually, yes. There is a book being published by Pony. He, he's redoing the Foundations of Traditional Chinese Medicine uh, by, I'm not sure if it's Ellis and Wiseman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe he and Andy are pretty good friends, aren't they? Yes, yeah. yes. And so Pony is basically doing the update with the neuro, neuroanatomical stuff. Wow. Right, and, I, and I'm helping him with the dissections. That's really interesting. So there's going to be this modern neuroanatomy combined with this, you know, ancient Chinese medicine stuff that Andy translated, you know, years ago in Taiwan. Right. That'll be a great book. When's it coming out? Don't quote me on this, but I believe in 22 months. I'm not quoting you, but, you know, this is a podcast and thousands of people will listen. So you've just been quoted. We all know that books take longer than you think they will. I think that is the date. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. Do you have any kind of a mailing list? I mean, if there's people that are interested in knowing more about this work and when you guys might have more information or publishing dates and such? Have you got a mailing list people could go to and sign up on? Right now, we do not because I'm not even sure why. I, you know what? It would be Pony, Pony runs a neuroanatomy class. Uh, let, me, let me just look it up really quickly. It's called uh, Neuro Meridian Acupuncture, I think. And he just, he just uh, got the green light to move it to York, I believe. York University. So it's going to be the first university in North America. Oh, yeah, here we are. Neuro-meridian.net. Great. I'll make sure it's on the show notes page. So, yeah, this would be – this is what we would be working on. He – I want to say last week the webpage went live for his York course. You know, that's okay. We – you can just send me any sort of um, links and stuff, and I'll just put it on the show notes page. I love Pony's course. I've taken it probably two or three times, and each time I learn more stuff. 
because this stuff is endless and it's really good stuff. Like this is, uh, this is the best time for Eastern and Western medicine to merge. There's no better time. Yeah. I appreciate your enthusiasm on that. So yeah, this is, to me, this is like the cutting edge of technology, but old school. Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, our, our time has rather flown by here. Yeah. And, and I hate to wind this down. We may have to get you back on or maybe get you and Pony back on together. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we could, we could really dive deeper into this. But uh, any closing thoughts that you have for the listener <laughs> about, uh, about dealing with pain and how they can actually get themselves out of pain? not just mask it. Okay, quick tips in terms of pain. I think the first thing that I would say is medial structures before lateral structures. Always look at medial structures before lateral structures because if things aren't getting better, most likely your patients that are already seen a chiropractor, a physio, seen a doctor, things aren't getting better. And that's when they're probably showing up at your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And most likely, they didn't look at everything. So I guess my first tip to people who practice pain management, chronic pain management, would be to look at structures that feed the area. Like, so, so everything close to the spine first has to be properly aligned and healthy before things laterally can be healthy. It's like a tree. You know, it grows from the... You want to make sure everything in the middle is healthy before you take care of everything else. Right. So if you have a problem out in the wrist, make sure that uh, the neck and shoulders are functioning properly. Yeah. C-spine, everything that feeds into the brachial plexus up to like T4, T7, down to that area can, can give you any problems with the wrist. So that all has to be cleaned up before you move into the shoulder and then you clean up the elbow and then you clean up the wrist. So... So you kind of look at things in stages. And then the other thing that I would say about chronic pain management is uh, that I tell my patients is put heat on it. That's so different than the usual Western throw some ice on it. Yeah. I mean, ice, ice is good. But the thing is, look, a lot of people here in Toronto fly to Florida. They fly to your country during the winter months. Why? For the same reason that a lot of people in my country fly to Florida during the winter months or Arizona. Because it's great climate. Like the cold slows us down. So the other reason why I support heat a lot, I'm talking about not high heat, low heat, okay? Like low heat. Do not burn yourself. Nothing grows in the cold. Mm. There is nothing in nature that grows in the cold. Things only get better in the heat. Nobody flies to the North Pole in the summer to relax. So uh, there are times where ice is important. Like if there's like severe trauma, somebody's about to go through a stroke. Yeah, throw some ice on it. Absolutely. Slow that process down. Slow that process down. But like outside of that, outside of the 24 to 72 hours, you know, put some heat on it. And if you don't have access to a heating pad, take a nice warm shower. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not going to get you out of the wood, but it will help calm things down so that, you know, you can function a little more. Great advice. Samuel, this has been a, a lovely conversation. So, yeah, thank you for having me on your show. I 
hope you have enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. If so, please take a moment and visit www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com where you can click on the review on iTunes button to rate and review the show. Doing this helps other people to find the show. Also, you can express your appreciation by supporting the show with a donation. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time.